Hello, and welcome to Music Rewind, a podcast where we look to tell the stories behind our favorite albums. I'm your host, Steve Epley, and in each episode, I will invite a guest to tell us about their favorite music album, how they discovered it, and what makes it special to them. Joining me today is an old friend through some work connections, Kelly Willard. Kelly is a licensed therapist and mother of two amazing kids. She's also the wife of my former boss. And I am also legally obligated to quote her as saying she enjoys knowing, quote, my really cool wife, Michelle. Welcome, Kelly, and thank you for being on the show. Oh, I've been looking forward to this. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I was really curious to get your insight into uh, your music tastes, because uh, I know you've got some interesting ones that are a bit against the grain of other guests on this show. So I, I want to get as many different perspectives as I can. So this is going to be a great conversation. I'll be the first to admit that I've never been super cool in my musical taste because they have always been very musical focused and I am a true orchestra chorus type nerd, but I love Broadway. And so kudos to you. Whenever I go on a rant on Facebook or something, I can always count on you to chime in with some musical insight and I appreciate the support. (laughs) Well, uh, I may not be a, a theater nerd to your level, However, I will say that I am a, a, a theater enthusiast. I, I do love a good musical. I love a good play. Uh, I've seen many. There's just something about seeing a good musical on stage. I've seen bad ones on stage. Of course. <laughs> and, and a bad one can you make you just wonder, why, why am I here? This, this hurts my ears. But when you see a really good one, it's, it's a very moving moment. It really is. And I would say that that moment spans any genre, right? I have that sensation when I listen to some rap, when I listen to hip hop, or when I listen to classical music. I I do like a lot of different things, but really I can't say that I love any of those other genres, unless it's the odd, you know, piece that really stands out that's done so well. I mean, looking back now for some of Eminem, when he first hit the scene, I mean, come on, Um, when you hear Lose Yourself or something, that, that hits me in a similar way as some of these really great Broadway things do, Rodgers and Hammerstein. And so I'm kind of a nerd to that level where if it's done well, I don't care what format it's in, but it has to be done musically well. That's pretty awesome. You just compared Eminem to Rodgers and Hammerstein. I don't know if that connection's ever been made, but that's pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It's not just the feeling that you get, right? Because anybody can induce a feeling. A film can induce a feeling. Any kind of sensory experience can induce a feeling. But there's something about the way that rhythm and melody is put together and the the spoken word or, or the sung word that is just magic. And that's just such a beautiful part of the human experience. And so if I can get that in any format, and musical theater just gets it faster it's like right to the veins then i'm all in i get i get goosebumps at good moments in music you know yes. if it's an if it's an amazing guitar solo if there's someone hitting a crazy note if it's 12 people on stage singing different songs but somehow it's all in the same harmony and the same rhythm that stuff gives me goosebumps it's it's really amazing and like i said there's also bad ones out there or it's a bad one where you've seen it before and like they're just not getting it that doesn't happen too often but it does happen it does happen but when you get those ones they just wow goosebump after goosebump it's great I know. And you sort of chase that feeling. So I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be critical. I'm sort of known in my family as someone to not see a new movie with or a new musical with, you know, I'm I'm waiting to see Dear Evan Hansen, the the movie adaptation, and no one wants to see it with me (laughs) because, (laughs) uh, because I'm chasing what I know it could be. 
And so then I don't want to defame anyone's talent. These people are generally very, very, very talented. And I'm not going to pretend like I can do exactly what they can do. I, I, I like my voice. I've, I studied, I, I can sing, but I'm, I'm not going to elevate myself to that. I'm certainly not a professional in that way, but I just, I know the potential and I know what I'm craving. And so I have high hopes for that movie. I have high hopes for West Side Story. Uh, it is a really great time to have all of these productions being accessible. Hamilton being released during the pandemic was a gift to us all. I mean, that is a piece of art that will stand for all time now. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Kelly, let's, let's jump right into this uh, before we get into a lot of things that I know will come up in conversation, movies specifically. What is your favorite album and how did you discover it? Well, highlights from Fan of the Opera. original cast, right? This was something that came out originally at the, in the West End first before Broadway, right? In the West End, 1986, I was four. So <laughs> growing up in the United States. So I had to wait to see it until much later. But the recording that I have is from that, that West End, not actually on stage. I'm sure this was done in a studio because there's reverb like crazy on the voices. It's just really hard to listen to almost you can, now. It's a, it's a little bit raw, but, you, but that adds to it at some points. It's been enhanced in some way. I mean, there, you can hear the echoey sort of reverb effect in the in the voice. So I just, the, the balance is off. Like this was recorded so long ago. It was probably mm -hmm. very well done. But compare that to some of the beautiful um, recordings of Broadway shows now. And yeah. even if it's done live, it's done better than this. But anyway, so this is beautiful because it's the highlights. You cut out so much and you just get right to the, to the meat of it. So you have Michael Crawford, you know, the original Phantom. You have Sarah Brightman, the original Christine. You have Steve Barton, Raul. And these are just exceptional talents. I have opinions. This I know is, you but, do. But, but this is your show. On it. Uh, I love Michael Crichton and Steve Barton. They're, they're phenomenal to me. And they, they just knock it out of the park. Crawford? What did I say? Crichton. <laughs> <laughs> author? Hey, great author. He too. is yeah. a great yeah. author, I will say. Yes, I mean, Andromeda Strain, Jurassic Park. I mean, these are great. <laughs> but uh, uh, but Sarah Brightman, something about her voice. I don't know. It's just now it, this may come because I saw the movie first. Oh, you poor thing. <laughs> That's what my wife says. <laughs> Those voices are terrible. I thought she did a great job. Oh, come on. I think you were lured by her beauty and youth. Well, that was part of the role of Christine. Right? I mean, yes, yeah. yeah. But uh, I've seen a lot of uh, performances of Sarah Brightman on, online. Uh, you know, just yes. I've, I've, I've watched it, and she is very good. I, it's, I don't know. I don't know. There's something about her that just doesn't get to the level of Michael Crawford to me. Because when you compare the movie, the movie Phantom to Michael Crawford, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but Gerard Butler was just, he wasn't there. He did a <laughs> great, great, great uh, persona on, on screen, but, the, yeah. but musically he did as best he could, but just not quite, you know, Broadway talent. Yes, I think he did. A, I agree. He think he did a great job in the movie. I think, what was her name? Emma Rosam? That's it. That's it. Uh, you know, she is 
she captures the naivete of Christine mm-hmm. so, so beautifully. And then there is this subtlety to her that is beautiful. I, I, I cannot handle the way she slides to her notes. Um, there is something very untrained at times. She has a, a sort of a crystal clear clarity that uh, without a vibrato at the top, that is a, you know, a lyrics, uh, not a lyrics soprano, what's a color tourist soprano can do that, but she needs to have some maturity to the voice. It's just too young for me. So anyway, so um, comparing to, we have uh, Sarah Brightman, okay? Sarah Brightman, I will agree, polarizing, Okay. She's not this amazing, amazing, amazing soprano to me. I think she's good enough to have captured my attention as a young person to say, wow, this is phenomenal that she's able to show so much emotion through her voice, but she has a very fast vibrato and it almost sounds like her voice is squeezed, but I, she makes up for it for, to me in the, the way that she's emotional with the, with the, the lyrics. And she has an exceptional piece to work with. I mean, the, the lyrics plus the lushness, nothing about the music is subtle. Uh, but I, I, I do know what, probably how she got into this. Do you, do you know the love story between her and Andrew? Yes. Like, I love it. Yeah. They, they were actually married, weren't they? Yes. Yeah. She, so she was a cat, right? She was a, the cat that sang a solo part. She was in, in cats. Yeah. She was in cat. Oh, that I didn't know. Yeah, she was a cat and she had a solo and she was, you know, beautiful in that role. And I captured his attention, I'm sure. And they fell in love and all that. And then I just see her as a muse for this. And so I give her a little bit of bonus points there for her voice and that she was the muse for this. There's a a great, uh, there's a great, uh, I don't know, I think it was his birthday at the Royal Albert Music Hall. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a compilation of many. I mean, you had uh, Donny Osmond singing Joseph parts and other yeah, things. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sarah Brighton was there that she sang bits and pieces of Phantom with mm-hmm. uh, Antonio Banderas and, and Michael Ball, who I love Michael Ball. Mm-hmm. It was there that that was the first time I ever saw her in person, mm-hmm. not in person, mm-hmm. but just on a screen. Very specifically duplicated what she does on these albums and on stage. But she's very wooden. And, and mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. when she's bouncing off other people who are walking around stages, she stands in one spot and she doesn't mm-hmm. do anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, that might have also kind of, I don't know, shaded me as far as when I finally listened to that full album. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so what did you think when you listened to it? Oh, I do love it. Uh, it, it is great. I mean, but to me, the highlight is the, the music itself. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I love the rock opera elements of it. Yes. Oh, you love Rent. I knew you would. This, pre, this predates yes. Rent completely. And so, of course, you couldn't get Rent before you got this. I, and I do, I do love Rent uh, quite, quite a bit. It's Rent, though, I had the ability to see it on stage first. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what it was or what it was about. Uh, they, the touring thing came to Hawaii when I was stationed out there, and I got to see mm-hmm. Rent. And it was like, holy crap this is great what what yeah. you know this theater thing is pretty neat mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this this wasn't my mom's oklahoma you know and sound of music this was something completely different and it was through that uh that group of people that i got to see uh uh miss saigon and oh, yes. uh joseph and the technical dream code and several others unfortunately phantom never came out there i have seen phantom live which you know uh we got to see him at the fox theater my wife and i and that definitely changed my opinion as far as, because at the time it was, I liked the movie better. Just so that was, that was kind of my, my firm opinion, but then you see it live. It's like, Oh, 
that clears up so many plot holes, number one, from the movie. And just the, to hear that overture live, when I talked about Goosebumps earlier, that overture does it to me every time. That overture is my favorite track. I mean, that is, there are two kinds of people in this world when they hear the overture to Phantom, right? The people like us that get chills and that go, all right, buckle up. We're, we're in the Phantom's lair, right? Because remember at the point that you get the overture. It's not the Rodgers and Hammerstein sort of style where you get sort of a mashup of the, the songs, the lighter versions of the main songs at the beginning as everybody is sort of settling in to kind of go into the world of Oklahoma or South Pacific or something. And it's just, um, it, it's just light. This smacks you in the face after you've had that old dusty kind of auction scene and mm. then the, the, the dead uh, chandelier it comes to life right in front of you, this beautiful prop that, Probably in 1986 was just so cool to see, yeah. you know, just so, so cool. It's cool now to see. <laughs> and you saw it at the Fox, which is such a beautiful theater that is so just, it's not of the period necessarily, but it is, feel, it feels so old. And we have the mighty Mo, this beautiful organ, which I, did they use it? Uh, oh, I don't know. The, I, I don't, when I saw Love Never Dies, the sequel to Phantom at the Fox, I, they did not use it, I don't think. I think they used the electronic type organ. But uh, I have heard the Mighty Mo player do this overture sort of number, a prelude to some other concert or something. He, he did several songs as sort of the opening act. And that was awesome. But I don't know if he actually uses it in the musical. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, Rent earlier because it's in this overture and later on, you actually hear electric guitar solos in there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's amazing. That's what gets it to me. So that, that rock opera element, you, it's, mm-hmm. like you said, it's not the Rodgers and Hammerstein. It's, it's really in your face. If you ask me as far as a favorite stage musical overture, it's, it's a dead tie between this and Jesus Christ Superstar for me mm-hmm. because it's the same way on, on Superstar because they're – it's and say obviously both Andrew Lloyd Webber and yeah. it's like say it's it's I wouldn't say it's hard I mean <laughs> uh, other shows here I've, uh, on this uh, you know I've done Van Halen and Metallica and others so it's not hard that, that's why we're nerds <laughs> because this is what's hard to us okay but I agree. <laughs> But in the stage musical world, that's a good description. You know, yeah. it's, this is going to be different. It very quickly changes gears on you in this. You know, after that overture is done, it's like, okay, we, we got your heart pumping, but then we're going to bring it back. Mm-hmm. Well, and it sets you into, in the actual stage version, you're not going like the Highlights album here goes right into Think of Me. Okay. The, of course, there's the whole scene there where there's, uh, there, uh, it's a show within Animal. a show. Yeah, so, they're, yes, they're, 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 they're rehearsing. Mm-hmm. And then the, the uh, curtain falls down on Carlotta and, you know, she says her famous line, if these things still happen, then this thing will not happen, you know, and she as a diva kind of goes off the stage and everything. And then that's when you have the young Christine Daae, who has been carefully taught. She's been well taught uh, by the Phantom, her angel of music, and she gets to audition for this diva role. And she's so young and new and timid. And then think of me is this beautiful maturation piece, which always doesn't 
sit super well with me because it's not an Italian. Okay, she's auditioning for this famous uh, Paris Opera House. Well, I would I would like it if it was an Italian, but uh, but it just feels like it's this pop song sort of. But I love how they mimic in the orchestration. They mimic that it's just solo piano at the beginning with her, just like it's her, just young, raw, vulnerable out there, very small. I think that's actually one of the things that that gets me about it is as far as my 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 knocks against Sarah Brightman is that she's got this operatic voice and you just called it a pop song. That's uh-huh. that's the disconnect to me. It, it need that the voice. I think that if it was a little bit more poppy, would would fit better. Oh, look at you pulling for Emma. You're just pulling for Emma Russell because she's too, she slides to things. She's so untrained. I hate it. But but then again, Sarah Bryman was not super trained either. I think she was mostly self-taught. I don't think she studied classically. Well, she crushes it on those opera, you know, beats there. I mean, she's, dude, she, as far as range and stuff, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure I could do it. I'm sure. one part that reminds you that that was, you know, sort of uh, elemental to the period of the piece in the 1880s in the Paris Mm. Opera House. That's the one part at the end of the song. But I just love how, you know, she's singing, the orchestra is so slow and and, um, little, and then um, the very typical Andrew Lloyd Webber thing to do here is to then mimic the the melody line. The the orchestra's in unison, basically, with the singer at first. And then there's this big flourish, and then you get the lushness of Andrew Lloyd Webber. And on the stage show, she actually transforms her dress into then actually performing. And then, you know, towards the end, when she gives that opera kind of run at the end... that she has sort of come of age and has been on this journey and you've been there with her and Raul sees it. And that's happened in three minutes. You know, so that's, I have a love hate with this song because I don't like the way that it's too pop to me. And I don't like that. It's just certain other things, but I love that the storytelling, Andrew Lloyd Webber accomplished something so good in three minutes. Yeah, yeah, I'd say it's a great introduction to Christine and it definitely highlights her her operatic voice and that transition you mentioned when you're able to see it on stage is pretty fantastic. It really is. I mean, I always, when I was young watching this, I saw it at the Bob Carr Theater in Orlando when I was probably 14, 15 or so, whenever it came, the Music Box Tour. And I just remember thinking, wow, representation is so important. I can't dance, but I can sing. I'm pale, I have dark curly hair. This is my part. You know, Christine just sort of flits around the stage a little bit in Hannibal at the beginning. Uh, she doesn't really dance. And, and at that time, I thought, I'm going to be an opera Broadway star. This is my role. This is me. And so from that point on, I was Christine, basically. And I just carried that with me that I was always going to do and be that. But so seeing that, I thought, I'm going to do a quick change. Uh, my career is not going to be complete until I'm going to do a quick change. Okay, my senior year in high school, I got to do a quick change. It was cool. <laughs> I got to do a quick change. I have never been on stage, so I've never, never had the, the opportunity. My, my uh, theater department in high school was fairly non-existent. So. Did you ever do tech or anything? No, no. 
there was football to be played. <laughs> James was in uh, the tech kind of department in his. And so we, we grew up in very different places. We didn't meet until college, but I will say on our very first date, we listened to this track, this, this whole album actually, because oh, we interesting. kind of had hit it off at a party and then he was driving me home and then we just kept driving. We ended up driving all the way around 285 <laughs> <laughs> and we listened to this and I sang and did you know he sings? He's going to kill me for saying that, but he sings. And so we sang this together on our first date. There was a beer garden at one time when James and I sang together a few bars of Do You Hear the People Sing? Okay, nice. Yes. Lame yes, we, 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 yeah, yeah, we got through a couple bars of that. Yeah, but again, it was a beer garden. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. That is one of my husband's natural habitats. Uh, next up, there is... Uh, kind of a transition song we, we it goes into angel of music which i don't know it, it kind of sets up the the what i like it, it does set up the angel of music kind of repeatable hook that you hear throughout the entire show yes and, and yes. those are things that i like in a good musical like like rent and others where what's set up in the first four or five songs you hear it repeatedly with different lyrics and in different context or different uh tempos even but all the yeah. way through the whole show and when that's done well, it's just like, um, you know, in Star Wars, you have a light motif or something mm-hmm. by uh, John Williams, the absolute master there. And so you, when that is done well, it's not even obvious. It's just, it sets the tone. And in going back to Sound of Music, um, did you know when they're fleeing the Nazis, right? And so the Nazis are in the car trying, you know, chasing them and stuff. The music played there is my favorite things, a few of my favorite things, but in sort of a minor key even. And so that it's just done so well. And I will say it's done very poorly in Wicked. Second act of Wicked. Uh, that I love Wicked, right? But I can only really kind of stomach the first act because I don't see them doing this transition then to the themes translating really well and even enhancing them in the second act. I agree there. Wicked's kind of got individual tracks. Mm-hmm. It, it, they they have a few overlap as far as some some hooks, but that it's largely you, know, you got Defying Gravity and For Good, and you've got, but those all are standalone. They really are. They really are. And so then you you mentioned Les Mis earlier. Okay, Les Mis is another masterful it, doing that very masterfully of anything introduced in the first is really brought back, um, but not really played with too much in the second act. It's just very clearly done. But um, I, I do love my favorite when Angel of Music comes in is I remember at the end when there's this decision, right? Past the point of no return is reprised then when down once more track down this murderer where Christine is having to decide, does Raul die? do I choose the phantom? What do I, what do I do here? How do I, how do I escape this? And um, she sings angel of music there at the same time, as the, you know, sort of the cacophony and confusion is happening around her. So that is what I'm talking about, mastery, where it's really brought in clearly and differently and well. Um, and sometimes you'll just hear it in the orchestra places, but that mm, was true. The, the singer brought it in. Yeah, it's an angel of music and then, and then the mirror. You know, they're kind of, kind of two songs in one for a little bit. Uh, but then that's where you hear the phantom for the first time. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Insolent boy, this flame of passion, by 
and what I like about that one is that the, the organ at the end, it's almost like a little heartbeat at the very end of the song that leads into the actual Phantom of the Opera. Are you talking about that? Just kind of a, almost like a, a, a very low. Yeah. That's the very end of the song. Yeah. I don't know the, the terminology musically, but uh, I just know that it's, it's building that suspense. Something's coming. I am your angel of music. Come to me, angel of music. Christine, angel. Yes, I was thinking of the drum. I was thinking of the uh, electric drum there. At some point, there's a but I know you're talking about that. And it is like a heartbeat. You know, Christine's heart is racing there. Always a strange part of the musical to me that I just sort of have to let go because I just, I don't like that she's so naive to think that there's really an, an angel singing to her or something. I, I guess that's, I don't know. I don't want to sound It's terrible. a gigantic suspension of disbelief there. It is. I, she's been classically trained by this mysterious voice, you know, to get to the level of being able to sing at a fancy opera house. How many years has this been going on? Uh, the logistics, if you get too deep into it, will ruin the whole show for you. Well, and I like, have this saying against, you know, kind of dumb female characters because I went to a female college and I really want to see strong females. And so I just, I, I always put it as part of her grieving process that in her grief, that in order to feel close to her father, then she is accepting this strange reality that there's a man talking to her and coaching her through the wall. And so I just, I just don't like the predatory nature of that a little bit. So I have to sort of let it go. Um, but, and I have that same note for music of the night. I mean, that's a creepy tune. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of creep factor if you really think about it. And in love never dies, there's an entire track where the phantom is singing to his son. It's just a creepy operatic rock kind of piece where it's just really strange. I can't remember the name of it right now, but there, yes, there is a creep factor to the phantom, you know, the stalker nature to him. And so um, I kind of, you know, you forgive that because of the lushness and the beauty of the music. And, and that's, it's actually an open question that I have for this whole story is that are you supposed to root for him? Are you supposed to feel sorry for him? Are you supposed to forgive him? What are you supposed to feel about the Phantom? Because he is, in a literal sense, a creepy old dude that's stalking a teenager and trying to seduce her. And he's a murderer. I mean, and his he's, and he's a murderer. Yeah. His body count is two in the musical. Okay. He murders the stagehand and he murders Pianji, the, yeah. the actor, in order to take his place in Past the Point of No Return, which is just so phenomenally done because. Phantom himself, Eric, I think is his name. Uh, Eric is a musical genius, obviously. And so he's written this opera, Don Juan, who is famously a, a Spanish sed seducer of women, right? Who used to disguise himself in order to accomplish that goal, right? And so the Phantom is literally then on stage in Pianji's clothing, disguising himself in order to seduce Christine. So you think, is this the genius of Andrew Lloyd Webber coming through the genius of the Phantom here where he's actually, it's sort of meta, right? Where he yeah, is- Yeah, you could think of it that way. Is he really immersed in the role? Does he, is he that much of a genius at his craft? Or is he just really wanting Christine that much? Is he that much of a predator? And I have not read the original book, the source material. So I, I honestly have no idea uh, what's, you know, what's different from the one to the other. Uh, I just know that when you when you watch it and 
it, Phantom of the Opera, the, the actual song, it's a visual masterpiece, no matter, you know, how you're looking at it, you know, where they're on the boat and Michael Crawford is mm-hmm. just, you know, when he says, when he sings Phantom of the Opera the first time, that is an amazing moment. The Phantom of the Opera is there. And though you turn from me to glance behind The Phantom of the Opera is inside your mind. It's amazing. It, it, it always is. And say lots of phantoms out there, out there. And I've heard many different recordings and, and his is still one of the best. It, it really is. It really is. I am going to suggest that you listen to Ramin Karaminlu. I'm saying his name okay. terribly. He was the originator of Phantom in, um, of Eric, I'm sorry, in uh, Love Never Dies. And I mean, okay. he kills it. All right. He brings so much masculinity and bravado. You may not like it because what Michael Crawford does so well is he brings that tender vulnerability of do, do I, do I root for this guy or not? He really brings that right for Ramin. He can almost, he almost brings out that evil a little bit more. Um, okay. I would think it is that there's, there's more power. You almost feel like he's just more in control. Whereas what Michael does is he will, he brings that sort of, is the music controlling him? You know, is the music of the night? Just, is he that much of a genius of his craft that he's sort of following that, those instincts to then kind of, you know, there's a, there's a something that you can, you can almost believe the passion. It's almost the, those murders were passion murders. I'm not excusing them, but then for Ramin's performance, you can see almost that he, he is more in control. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that different because it's from, from a, outside perspective it just looks like a black and white character as far as this is the way he sings this is the way it's going to be but when you throw different actors in there i'm glad they can still put their different spins on it and you know different vision of that character that's awesome it really is quite nuanced then because when christine kisses the phantom at the end i mean that's the beauty and the beast moment right that's when the beauty then kisses the beast and he becomes human basically and so um for certain performances you you can see that humanity more uh, if, especially if the singer is more vulnerable. And I think that comes actually from a higher voice too, if, if the tenor is a little bit higher, which Michael Crawford does have that baritone tenor type quality. And so I think that uh, Ramin is more grounded and does a lot more classic Broadway techniques where he just, he, he is so forceful when he sings. I don't know uh, what, what your take on it is, but like to me, this is not a love story. And, and, and so I'm, um, I, have, I don't know the story of Love Never Dies or, or how the sequel goes, uh, but it, it's completely one-sided. It's an obsession mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. from the Phantom. So when at the end, when Christine does kiss him, it is solely to kind of uh, placate him and just mm-hmm. give him what he needs so that she can rescue her love. And he's crushed by that realization that she does mm-hmm. not love him and she's not going to. So the love story is just kind of kaput. I don't know if, if different actors have different spins where maybe her choice is a little bit more love either way. I, I don't know. Well, you are going to need, this is your homework, Steve. Okay. You're going to need <laughs> to uh, find some version. I do believe that the Australian version was filmed uh, of love never dies because 
there has been some revision to the staging of uh, Phantom, I think in order to answer some of these questions that we're having and in order to make the first flow into the second more cohesively, because I swear when I saw this originally years and years and years ago, there was not this level of nuance to certain aspects of Raul and Christine. For example, the new staging that was several years ago of the Phantom of the Opera original um, that was at the, the Fox, when they're up uh, about to sing All I Ask of You, they're on the roof, right? That's always been, I believe. But um, they had the actress almost jump off the roof because she was that terrified of the Phantom. All I want is freedom, a world with no more night. And you always beside me. And they really emphasized that she, that her love for Raoul was based in security, was based in protection, and was based on thinking at that point in the 1880s as a female, what am I going to do? You know, and so seeing sort of that, the institution of marriage as protection, right? And that she was so scared that she was almost going to commit suicide, right? And that love was a viable option there, and so that's what they really chose through certain, uh, they really played up the fear of Christine. I think in the 80s, you know, there wasn't a sequel yet. I think in the 80s, yes, it was a one-sided sort of portrayal. Um, although uh, in the movie that you love so much, which I'm poking at you for, um, they, they, the seduction was really played up. It was. You know, she's not asleep on the couch while he sings that you know, or anything. She is there being actively seduced by him. And then in a uh, point of no return, that is also something where you're thinking, is she into this? Or now, you know, it's kind of this, does she like this or not? Which then is implied that she does like it for the second point one. of no return is a very intimate song. Yes, it, it, it really is. And, and I don't know if that was her trying to play the part in his musical he wrote, or if that is her actually, uh, telling her that telling him that she's she's got to make a decision that she is torn on said decision so it, it can go either way. i like the i like the ambiguity you know that it's, it's your own personal interpretation and uh but that song is definitely say, just intimate How long before we're to be one? I mean, our bodies yeah, entwining. Yeah. It, there's really, I mean, that that all of that eroticism, by the way, over my head as a 14, 15 year old kid, like <laughs> completely over my head, which is hilarious because then I realized I wasn't going to probably be on Broadway, which broke my heart, but I had a lot of anxiety in college and then decided, you know, another love that I had, I'm ADHD, so I have a lot of different loves. Another love that I had was psychology. And so then I pursued that. Um, and, uh, but I was so close to my major in music, but I ended up switching over to psychology and then getting a master's in that and everything. But there was so much that went over my head then that I ended up, I ended up being a Christian sex therapist. I mean, not just any kind of therapist. I work with marriages and couples and sex. And so it's just comical to me now that I've listened to this track hundreds of times and only you know later in my life did I realize that aha moment of, oh, okay. 
there was all that innuendo. <laughs> well, is it innuendo in music of the night at the in between that and next? Does he seduce her? I mean, it's kind of an open question. Well, a question that is answered in Love Never Dies, actually. Okay, so <laughs> not damn that night. sequels. <laughs> I know. So, can I give spoilers? Can I? Can I go ahead? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think many people are jumping out to the, that particular album next. So. Okay, well, but I would recommend it, although there's so many changes. He had such heavy critique for the musical when it first came out. People were calling it, um, instead of Love Never Dies, Paint Never Dries, because they were saying that things were drawn out and that the storyline was far-fetched and blah, 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 and everything. But I do believe that he based it, just like he based the original Phantom, on a book. I believe there was a a, a book that then he uh, he, he based the second off. To, to my knowledge, it is... It takes place in Coney Island and yes. the Phantom returns and there's a kid involved or something. That's like yes. the extent okay, of my so, knowledge. So the whole thing is that um, Christine then realizes at the close of the musical, it's close of the original, that she has all these doubts. You know, why am I really marrying Raul? Is it for passion, for love? for intrigue, for music, all the things that make me come alive? Or is it for safety? Is it for money? Is it for security? You know? And so supposedly, and there's a whole song that explains this, Beneath the Moonlit Sky, she finds the phantom where he had been hidden away by Madame Giri to save his life because he was going to be arrested and, you know, put on trial for the murders and everything. And they have sex and they produce a child. Right. And then um, Christine, it's at the same time as she gets married, basically. So Christine really doesn't know who it belongs to. It is always sort of suspected. Anyway, the child is raised as if it was Raoul's. And then 10 years later, she's invited by the Phantom, although she doesn't know it's the Phantom, to sing at Coney Island because he had to escape to America because he was hunted, right, for his crimes. He went with Madame Giri. And Madame Jury, then just like she had saved him as a, as a child or whenever she came to save him originally, he bought a sideshow and all this stuff. And he becomes this, this mogul, right? So he has his own theater and he's oh, living okay. among the quote unquote freaks because he's found his people basically. And then it becomes this vaudeville style place where he then um, lures Christine back to sing and Raoul is a drunk, Raoul's in debt. And so she falls back in love with him, with the Phantom. I will not say anything more. There is much more. Yeah, I'll have to look into that because I, I have I have questions and <laughs> see you're you know, not sold. <laughs> no, because I mean, I, well, you mentioned Beauty and the Beast earlier, and that's one of those you know Disney revisionist sort of things that you can look back on on that story yeah. you know, as far as the Stockholm syndrome and. You know, you just fell in love with the guy who imprisoned your father and then you and kept you secluded. Now you love him like, OK, so now you, you got the Phantom of the Opera. It's like you're really in love with the guy that was a sexual predator and also murderer. And uh, let's go down the list. You know, I, I question your your taste in men here, lady. I know it really is. Well, and I oh, my goodness. And then. 
I will, I'm so tempted to spoil the sequel, but I, I really won't. <laughs> I want you to, if you know nothing about it, you really just need to watch it, but, or listen to it. Um, but keep in mind the recording is, has been altered so much. There was a whole introductory premise to the musical, how it was presented by former, um, uh, former circus act people. Right. And then he sort of switched that there's, there's a lot of changes, but you'll still get the general story, obviously through the music and not, not so much of the main pieces changed. I am curious, so uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to look into that because I'm. I, I, it's just so weird. <laughs> well, fuel the curiosity, right? And yes, I do question Christine's uh, sense of self. You know, Christine, who are you without these men? <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, you know, who, absolutely. I mean, she could have been a great opera singer, but she's got. Uh, it, she should have talked to someone. I don't know. <laughs> well, this is a very different time. A very, Absolutely. very, very different time. And so it just sort of reminds you of that. If this was written today, how would it be written? It, wouldn't it be amazing? So much time has passed. Uh, you know, the 1980s was not just 20 years ago. It was 40 years ago. <laughs> and if, if this was written today, Christine and Meg would have went back to the opera and burned it down and just, you know, torched all the men you know that <laughs> probably and i i am not anti-man i feel the need to say i'm happily married for almost 18 years to a man i'm raising a young man you know i'm not anti-men uh, and so i definitely don't want to see a version where she burns it down but i do i would like to see more of who is christine without her father without a man or or with a man and still being herself i mean for goodness sakes so i i don't feel like christine's i want song is is really anywhere Except for all I ask of you, she says, all I want is freedom, a world where no, with no more night. And then she's found that in the arms of Raul, but can she find it in herself? The Phantom doesn't show the, the audience anything that redeems himself to, to the audience. You could, someone could say, well, he gave her the gift of music. You know, sure, uh, but it was under the guise of uh, lies. You know, he was playing up the whole, I am your angel of music. I, I am your, I, I'm, I'm whispering in your ear when he had ulterior motives the whole time. It was to serve him, right? He, it was, it's sort of this multi-level of servanthood. He sort of feels like he's a servant to the music itself, as if the music of the night was its own entity. So he, he worships music and then she's, he's sort of demanding that Christine play that role to then fit his vision of how to serve music, sort of the music in him. So, so if you're going to uh, go around of also more speculation, you could say that she, she just wants someone that she can feel sorry for. She, cause she looks at him with sympathy at the end of the uh, Phantom of the Opera with Raul. He's established, he's secure. He, he's not a project. She has, whereas with the Phantom, she could, there's a lot to change there. And maybe that's well, what she wanted. Maybe, but the second one will prove you wrong because Raul is definitely a hot mess. He's a project in the second. Okay, he is a, he's drunk. He's got gambling debts, right? And so if that theory held water, then in the second one, she would... So, well, it does explain why she stayed with him so long then because it's been years and years implied that Raul's been a hot mess. And so, yeah, maybe that's true, right? But there's, there's something there that, um, yes, the Phantom, is he a true narcissist where other people exist to serve his vision? That's what it sounds like. Or is he so 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 emotionally damaged and stunted from being a disfigured person sadly in a time where that was viewed as evil just by the way you look you know that was a curse or that was he he really suffered so much trauma from the moment he was born his first 
clothing was uh, what, what mask was the first scrap of unfeeling clothing. I think the line is mm-hmm. from his mother. So you could say he had an attachment wound. Oh, there's definitely an origin story of trauma there. Sure. And to me, it'll never justify the murders and the no, sexual predatory. Coming back to that. See yeah. how we forget? We forget. Yeah. And that's what I say. It's, it's such a great musical as far as the ambiguity of it. You have, you can have many different takes. You know, some people are like, Oh, I love the Phantom. He's amazing. Christine should have ended up with the Phantom. It's like, did you watch it? I think Christine, Christine should have ended up with herself. Really? I mean, that's my hot take. But no, they, I mean, this well, wait, is, wait, before we say one thing, ha- having never seen the sequel, just the first, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah, Raul, uh, sure, there's a childhood attachment to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's where that started. But his he, he he's trying to protect her. He he's he's in love. He does everything he can to protect her. And from all I can see through the lyrics and the stage play, he's in love. He's a true, you know, knight in shining armor sort of he, uh, hero guy. Mm-hmm. So he seems genuine there. So, but that's without any of the future knowledge of the yes, drunken gambling. He seems genuine. I just, you know, I'm not someone who watches Hallmark movies. I just, he seems kind of boring to me. And so, but yes, he says all the right things. All I ask of you is the power ballad, basically, where he, he says all the things that women want to hear. And so that that's he was the person for her. I do believe they were in love for that moment in that time and maybe at the end then they did pretend there's no sequel maybe they did find each other in a in a beautiful time and for that purpose and then it, things were good happily ever after right maybe that did happen i will say he's incompetent i mean he's got money he's got power he's got the authorities and they can't find the one guy that's living underneath the the opera i mean right they didn't try very hard Right. There, again, we suspend belief, right? But at some point in the uh, sequel, and I think it said, too, when, when they've revised the, uh, the original, or maybe it was there all the time and I forgot, Madame Jury in explaining the Phantom, he's, she says things like, he's an inventor, he's an architect, he's, mm-hmm. a, uh, he's a genius, a musical genius, he's all these things, right? So that is sort of for us to say, well, he's invented some way that he can't be found, Right. I mean, come on. Like, they didn't have GPS trackers or infrared sensors back then. Maybe he's built tunnels. He's done something. But I agree. Raul to have all these references to his power and his family and his wealth and things, he really doesn't do much with it. So back to the, the album, the Highlights album, uh, what tracks are your go-tos? Like, which ones do you kind of gravitate towards and which ones do you skip if, if there are any? Well, I always skip Masquerade. Okay. Really? Uh, mas- yes. Masquerade is just one of those things that works really well on stage. When you see it, it's this big showstopper, right? And it occurs right after, uh, it's, it's the beginning of the second act. So right after the intermission. Okay. That's a tough spot for songs to come in. All right. I love everything about Hamilton except for what did I miss? Okay. That's the first song after the intermission weakest song in the whole show it's the it's the catch-up song and so you know the you can argue that oh there's this great pomp and circumstance for this song it's 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 so cool and everything there's the grand staircase is this iconic piece of scenery and everything but to me it's forgettable i i don't enjoy it and so i skip it i've skipped it for a long time i like that track (laughs) do you okay convince me why uh, it's to me, it's, it's a, it's a good transition act too. Cause it does start off with 
you know, telling you that a couple months have passed and things are, they're getting comfortable. They're comfortable yeah. enough after the events of the first act to throw a party. They're letting their guard down. There's some exposition in the lyrics and stuff, but what I like the back half of the song where it's, uh, it's more upbeat and you actually kind of end up playing a little air conductor. I like that, that part of it. <laughs> well, see, if I want to air conduct, then I go to sort of the tango rhythm of uh, past the point of no return. So that is so, which is, I'm such a nerd. I actually looked up, is the tango Spanish? No, it really originated in Argentina, uh, but 1880s. So is Andrew Lloyd really? Webber that much of a genius that he thought, how can I make this really cool? And so, okay, we'll do Don Juan, which was a popular storyline and diff- different shows were made, different, beautiful, even operas and things existed in, in literature about this in Italy and Spain. So around the area of France, okay, where this is. Um, but then how did, how did the Phantom in his creation of his opera kind of fly down to Argentina? <laughs> but anyway, that's, I, if I want to air conduct, I'm going to do that or I'm going to really, really lean in to just nobody does strings. Uh, the, the, to have this breath and the phrasing, no one does strings like Andrew Lloyd Webber. That's, he's heavily influenced and he's said in interviews by things like South Pacific and Rodgers and Hammerstein, other things where that's that lushness of the strings and the horns and things. So that's what I'm going to wave my arms to. In the strings in that song, they are like deep breaths. You know, the mm-hmm. dun, dun. Yeah, that, that, it's like mm-hmm. just that, 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 uh, uh, yeah, tango. Yeah, I never even uh, attached that in my head to that song, but you're right. And then there's another uh, check mark on the board for I can do this part because I can't dance. They don't do the tango. No, they 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 walk around the the stage in in, uh, in various positions, and you know they're 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 near each other. They're far apart. They're, their yeah. hands are touching. They're far apart. You know, just what's her decision going to be? They're not actually dancing. And so anytime nope. that there's no dancing, I, I, I make a little mental list of things that I could actually perform. And so, no, I go to that or I go to, uh, I, I have a, a soft spot in my heart for wishing you were somehow here again. I really love this, you know, um, why can't the past just die? No more memories, no more silent tears. There's something just so like it just touches my little emo heart at age 13, 14, just something deep there. I mean, I don't know what I was trying to forget at those ages, Um, but there's something so, so, so um, it's so much better to me than think of me. If you're thinking about Sarah Brightman's voice, I think she performs it better. And I think it's just more um, I just I like the orchestration better. I do think the song fits her voice better. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I a very, very that. sad song. Yes. And I honestly, I didn't understand the sadness as much as a, as a young person. I feel like I've grown up with this musical. I've listened to it so much over yeah. the years. And now at 40, I hear so much differently. 
than when I was 14, 15, 16. And so now that I have lost people in my life, uh, you, you just, you really, your heart goes out to this, this girl who, this young woman who really was searching for something and trying to close a chapter of her life and open another, but she wasn't really quite sure what to open really, but she knew that she had to let go of, of her youth and her dad in some way. And that song is just lovely. I, I missed out on so much by not growing up in New York or near New York or anything. So I did, I really did not have a lot of exposure to theater. I, I saw, I did see Miss Saigon and Phantom when I was young. And then it was not until I came to Atlanta where I started to just really pursue things at the Fox because my first time at the Fox was just this amazing difference. It's so different than other theaters and it's so cool. I did, we did our, our course saying at Carnegie Hall when I was in high school. And so that was oh, that's cool. beautiful. I saw, oh, it was amazing. So um, the color of my bridesmaids dresses was picked because because of the red of the Carnegie Hall seats. Okay, so that's oh. that's how much that experience was ingrained in me. Well, the fox really comes alive at Paw Patrol, you know, <laughs> live on stage. Oh, it's, it's, it's fantastic, you know. Yeah. <laughs> didn't now, okay, now didn't you and me and Michelle, didn't we see Star Trek, though, yeah. at the Fox? Yes, that was an oh, epic. No, or that was, or was that, that was Atlanta Symphony. Oh, no, yeah. yes. Was it, I'm we confused. Saw it. I, 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 we saw it, now I'm trying to remember which, which menu. <laughs> I don't know, but the, the music of Star Trek, I, we could do a whole other show on yeah, that. That's, yeah, that, that, was, that was really, that was a great show. <laughs> it was. Stay tuned for part two of, of Steve <laughs> and Kelly dissect Star Trek, because that's another area of nerddom that we can do. Do you have any other uh, go-to songs on this album? I mean, really, I, can, I will not ever get tired of the, the overture. I really, I really won't. Or um, uh, that that fugue element really um, is it's the best version of that. I, I like it better than actually the Phantom's I Am song of Phantom when he's singing it. I, I like it better without the vocals. And so I'm just listening to that, um, that beautiful um, organ work just with the arpeggios. And I just, I love that. You commented to me in Messenger how uh, when I put the that transition point in the song in one of my trailers for this. Yeah. I, that's my favorite part of the song where it just, it shifts and then the strings kick in. Uh, it's, it's, it's so memorable that, that one moment for me. Yeah, it, re it really, really is iconic. And so, and I, I just can't get over how in the 80s, right, audiences responded to this the way that audiences now respond to Hamilton. Okay. And yeah. so I, I see so many parallels, even though they're very different personalities between Andrew Lloyd Webber and Lin-Manuel Miranda, where we are seeing, I hope and pray, a, pro, a prolific amount of work from Lin-Manuel over the next years, just like we see so much from Andrew Lloyd Webber, um, because they are so high quality and they are pioneers in the genre. I mean, really, you, Andrew Lloyd Webber at the time was pulling the best of the rock ballad of the eighties. Right. And he then added opera to it. And he had of course started that earlier with Jesus Christ superstar. So mm -hmm. it, you know, he definitely started that earlier, but he was somehow fully eighties with the synthesizer and things and the drum, the drum kit and stuff. Uh, but also advancing the, the genre. 
And then that is exactly Lin-Manuel. He's, he's immersed and pulling from recent, you know, kind of nineties hip hop and things. He's, he's pulling all these references um, that are, that are modern references and then still advancing so much because who else is out there doing a hip hop opera musical that and doing it to that degree of amazingness. And so they are, they are just both pioneers to me. I, I, what do you think of prima donna? We skipped over that one and I'm curious. Okay. So as a young person studying classical music, I studied piano voice in college. Voice was my major piano. I was trying very hard, but I'm, (laughs) my piano skills are not great. And so I, I just adored Carlotta's voice. I really, I thought, and then again, checklist is like, there's two roles that I could do in this show, right? Or maybe I could even be Meg. I just saw, I I just saw so much opportunity as a young person, but I just, when I would sing along to the soundtrack, it was 50, 50, I was 50% singing Carlotta, you know, and then 50% singing Christine because I just, I, it's so good. I love opera. <laughs> and so, but her character's fun. Minnie Driver really exaggerates it in the movie, uh, which is She was fun. having fun. You could tell. Mm-hmm. It is. It is but, so fun. Well, it's one of my favorite songs on, on mm-hmm. this whole, whole album because it's a, the whole group's involved. And this mm-hmm. is where uh, we, we've mentioned Rent several times, but this is one of those songs where you've got several people in different points singing completely uh, parallel things, but all in rhythm and all, all in harmony at times. I I love that. Yes. And the best example of that before that, I think would be, you know, Leonard Bernstein and West Side Story when right before Mm -hmm. the intermission, I believe, and everything comes together tonight, tonight, and they have all the things together. I mean, that's just beautiful. And so good musicals will do that really, really well. And here you go. It's a shame Jonathan Larson, you know, passed away and, and rent was all we have from him. Uh, uh, but his, uh, the, the Christmas morning in the, the very end of act one before La Vie Bohème is just amazing. Uh, it's, that's what I like listening to on rent is where, cause you got the main crew and then a, a dozen other extras all singing parts. And it's just a musical, you know, spaghetti junction of just everybody going a dozen different ways and it all works. And, and this one, not as complex and crazy as far as the number of people, but I just, I love the way they do it. And then everybody comes together for the finale of the song with the, you know, light up the stage line. And it's, it's, it's another goosebump moment for me. I like that song. Never sung in a choir? Have you never had a choir experience? You have never heard me sing. Okay, I haven't. I'm going to ask Michelle <laughs> about it. But this is what I miss about being in choirs. I really haven't been in choirs since college. And so, but before that, I was in all state choirs and at choir, 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 choir was my life. And so uh, I, I, I fully enjoyed every minute of it back then. But I, I look back now and say, wow, I wish I would have savored it even more than I did because of that element where I, I loved to sing um, when we would do arrangements where it wasn't just all the sopranos in one block and all the altos. And I loved it when we were arranged and, you know, I would have an alto next to me and then a tenor next to me and a bass or, or if I was in a small ensemble because of that interplay of of the voices gelling so beautifully and just there's nothing like being in the midst of that performing 
what you're what you're describing is very cool to listen to. I can do I can do it both ways. You know, being in it and listening. It that's, just that is so really cool. cool. Yeah, I've, I've I have never had that experience, and that's that's really cool to. What about playing instruments? Uh, you never played instruments either? I played a saxophone in, in elementary school. That's, that's as far as I got. Okay. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's never too late. It's never too late. Pick up something because you have too much of a musical understanding to not then have that experience of being in it because that is beautiful. I, I, I will live through my children. Okay. <laughs> I'm in my forties now. I'll go that route. I'll start up a family <laughs> band or a, a family <laughs> band, like the Von Trapps. I, those yeah, are there you to go. Van Trapp family. Uh, I can say I'm the best singer in my car. I'll, I'll rock a mean Edelweiss. Uh, <laughs> that's a sweet, that, oh, you should sing that as a lullaby to kids. That's sweet. Have you ever heard the full album of Queens, a night at the opera? I have not. No, I recommend it. I mean, okay. queen classic rock legends, of course. And, um, and it's on my current short list as far as I may be talking about it on the same podcast. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Haven't decided yet. But you know, everyone's heard Bohemian Rhapsody, sure. Uh, but there is so much more to that album, and it's called "The Night at the Opera" for a reason. I mean, it showcases Freddie Mercury's voice and his multi talents of of harmony with the rest of the group. Every song is completely different. It's not going to be what you expect. It's not "We Will Rock You." Right. Maybe one song is similar. Maybe the next song is. You, it's, it's crazy, but I, I highly recommend you checking that one out. Um, nice. with, with, with what we've talked about today, I think you'd like that album a lot. Very nice. I appreciate the recommendation. So Kelly, uh, Phantom of the Opera, the highlights of West End made your top spot. What albums made your shortlist? Well, I'm a sucker for Hamilton. I could not help but talk about it a lot already <laughs> tonight. And so that was really, really up there um, because I could talk all day about Hamilton and the genius. I love a chorus line too. That is another where the voices are not so, so great, but the story was so, so important at the time and still is important to tell. It was such a concept of let's show this uh, this this world to people who don't know this world. And, uh, and so, and I also love Dear Evan Hansen. Ben Platt is, uh, amazing, amazing. I think he's one of the most talented singers we have alive today. Really. I, I would go so far to say that because he is that good. Um, but I also love Metallica. You know, I could talk about them a little bit, not as much, but I, my favorite is when Metallica has a symphony when they have the orchestra. That is just great. Or I could have talked about Jewel. Jewel also, when she brings strings, really shines. That's an artist I haven't heard much from in a long time. Yeah. So that that really, if I wasn't going to talk Broadway, uh, then it was you know over Metallica. Really, it was going to be Jewel because Jewel that was a sort of formative kind of material for me growing up. So so before Jewel hit it big, uh, she did this thing called um, it, uh, something with Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz on stage. And uh, did you ever see it? No, I mean, I know Wizard oh. of Oz, but I didn't see Jewel in it. So I, I had it on VHS. I used to watch it all the time. So Jewel played Dorothy. Uh, really? She, st- she still had dark hair. I mean, so she was wow. just as right before her first album. So I was early high school. Um, this was one of my guilty pleasures that I would watch that, you know, I would never tell my high school friends that I'm watching this. But you had, you had Dorothy there. Uh, Joel Gray played the, uh, uh, the wizard. Okay. Um, Jackson Brown played the Scarecrow. Um, Roger Daltrey of The Who played the Tin Man. And Nathan Lane played the Cowardly Lion. That's fun. Um, How have I not seen this? 
it, it's it's on stage, so it's 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 them standing behind podiums singing their wow. parts. Uh, you have the Harlem Boys Choir is, are the Munchkins. Okay. Um, it is really good. I have several of the tracks uh, just kind of ripped from the internet and they're on my phone because I oh. love Jackson Brown's version of uh, If I Only Had a Brain, Nathan Lane's version of, uh, what the hell is this song? Uh, the Cowardly Lion song. It's very comical, you know, that Nathan Lane, uh, yeah, I mean, he's Moan and Pumbaa perfect, style. Perfect to Moan, I mean. But the highlight is definitely Somewhere Over the Rainbow by Jewel. Wow. She crushes it. And and then like a year or two later, you hear who will save your soul on the radio. It's like, oh, uh, I know that voice. I mean, so Pieces of You, I think was the album, right? Where uh, That sounds familiar. There, uh, I, uh, I think so. It sounds and, familiar. Uh, well, and, and so, and, or Garth Brooks. I mean, I, I see how I'm all over the place. I love, I mean, Garth Brooks is another beautiful, beautiful talent. I mean, I just, I guess I just really like the upper crust of every genre, really, because I think for that sort of that uh, independent, I guess you call it indie or that folksy kind of sound. I mean, you can't top Jewel. She really, really commands that genre, right? And then you have uh, Garth Brooks, who is the top of uh, any kind of country ever, you know, not arguing. <laughs> There's no arguing that with me. And then, uh, so what you're describing is that you found Jewel really early, huh? That's, that's kind of lucky. I, I didn't really, I can't say that I found any of these people early. I found it through Jackson Brown. Cause I'm a, I'm a big Jackson Brown fan, great singer songwriter, uh, you know, that my father turned me on to a long time ago. Uh, so saw a commercial one day that, Hey, there's just going to be this thing on Jackson Brown's playing Scarecrow. Hey, I like wizard of Oz. So I recorded it and the whole show is great, but those, those performances on it are really good. And I haven't YouTubed it in a long time, but it's gotta be out there. I think the only thing that was happening in my household growing up was a mix of my Awela playing, um, just oh, so so much of Lawrence Welk. You remember watching Lawrence oh, Welk wow. show? Just beautiful kind of all all those variety shows and things, and, and even reruns of that, obviously. And then uh, her really loud kind of Cuban merengue music and things. And I just you know I would hear that in the background. And then uh, my dad loved the Four Seasons, and so just talk about harmony, you know. And then uh, yeah. so I, I need to see Jersey Boys. Uh, I've not seen that in person, so I need to see that. Totally go. And so and. And then we would play just, you know, the music of the day, just the, the house music, I guess, the top 40 stuff and everything. So, but I can't say anyone ever really took me under their wing and said, hey, here, listen to this. Um, I, I think there was someone in my dad's family that gave me a beautiful um, piano music at one point. And so that's the, really kind of the only times that anyone ever gave me something to listen to. But um, I, my kids are getting such an education in 90s music and in musicals. We, we were studying something the other day in homeschool and uh, the Titanic came up. And so we were talking about the Titanic. And then what did we do? We listened to some musical uh, numbers from the Titanic. Well, you played him Celine Dion, didn't you? No, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. I'm talking about Titanic, the musical. That's a really oh, the musical, cool. okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a really overlooked one. There's some there's some gorgeous voices in that and some really well done music. So I would recommend Titanic the musical and there's not a Celine Dion in sight. Okay, so I, I'm I Celine's got a lot of talent. I'm not gonna say she doesn't, but I've never been just a diehard Celine Dion fan. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, but this was fun. Yes, I could talk about Phantom all day long because I love it. And I think I talked about all the songs I wanted to talk about. I'm just. So uh, before we wrap this up, uh, would you like to tell our listeners what you're working on or if they can find anywhere or anything you would like to pitch? 
Well, Lin-Manuel, if you are listening, you're a genius and I'm sorry I insulted your voice. I will never do it again. Um, and Andrew Lloyd Webber, if you are listening, you're a genius. And I also am sorry. <laughs> so I'm a homeschool mom and I'm a therapist. And so I'm really not promoting anything other than my sanity these days, trying to balance the two. I love what I do. I, I'm a, I love my kids. I love my husband. I love my clients. And so I'm just trying to find out how I can also be a little bit of me there too, because a bit of me, a big part of me is just loving to sing and loving to just indulge really in these indulgent melodies. I mean, if that would be a great word for Andrew Lloyd Webber's music. I think they're very indulgent in the best way possible. They're very lush and rich. And just um, if ever I want to feel something, you know, I'm not going to turn on another genre, really. I will turn on uh, Broadway music and it's generally going to be an Andrew Lloyd Webber type of music because I think it really evokes so much feeling for me more than other composers. I mean, can I be friends with Andrew? The closest that I've ever been to him, right? Can I call him Andrew? You know, I'm not going to call him Lord. That just feels weird. But like um, Ian, the coolest experience of my life or one of the coolest experiences was um, James and I were on a cruise to um, Northern Mediterranean or something like that. And we stopped in England. And so we stopped in London. And by chance, I got to see the closing night of Love Never Dies there. And oh, because cool. it opened there before it came to the United States. It took a while to come to the United States. It had to go to Australia before it came to the United States. There were that many revisions and that was, the show was kind of a mess. And so Andrew Lloyd Webber was like 15 rows in front of me. And at oh, the wow. end of the show, and it was one of those performances. I don't know if you've ever been to like a closing night of something or just a very, where you can feel the electricity. Like at, at the end of the, the Christine's, one of her songs, she actually teared up she broke character for a minute and teared up because you could tell like it just welled up in her. The, the audience was feeling it so much and she had given so much. And that was the last time she was going to sing that song. So she broke and cried a little. And anyway, so at the end of it, we're all clapping. The actors are up there kind of crying a little bit and stuff and doing their bows. And then the audience sits down and who stands up? It's Andrew Lloyd Webber. And he's right. He's been in front of me the whole time and I didn't know it. And then he got up there and he spoke and he thanked the crowd and he thanked the, and he called people out and thanked everybody. It was so cool. That is really cool. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I was so close. <laughs> I was so close. But I don't know what I would do. This would be me. Hi. Hi. Same thing with Lynn Manuel. If I ever met either of them, because I'm so impressed by their ability and talent. Well, Kelly, I'd like to thank you for your time today. It was a pleasure to sit and talk with you about Phantom of the Opera. Thank you so much for letting me sing and talk and just be a person because this is so fun for me. I appreciate it. Fun on all sides. This was a blast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Music Rewind, a podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. And as I always say, listen to the full album. Until next time. A podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. Back to you, anchors.